Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. There's a reason they just do a great job. And you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Keith Maples, the Chief Development Officer at the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Big news, they've just completed a $13 million expansion, and we'll find out why that matters. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be joining us as well. It is December the 3rd, and on this day in 1776, General George Washington wrote to Congress from his headquarters in Trenton, New Jersey, to report that he had transported much of the Continental Army's stores and baggage across the Delaware River in Pennsylvania. His famous crossing of the Delaware would come less than one month later. In his letter, Washington wrote, Immediately on my arrival here, I ordered the removal of all military and other stores and baggage over the Delaware, a great quality quantity already got over, and as soon as the boats come up from Philadelphia, we shall load them, by which means I hope to have everything secured this night and tomorrow if we are not disrupted. He then made the critical strategic move of confiscating and burning all the boats along the Delaware to prevent British troops from pursuing his beleaguered forces across the river. The British strategy of chasing Washington across New Jersey rather than capturing his entire army in Manhattan seemed to be a stroke of genius as the New Jersey was devastated at the hands of British horses and Washington's men cowered in Pennsylvania. Even staunch patriots, including Thomas Jefferson, considered surrender to the crown. These were dire times. And keep in mind, this is the end of the Little Ice Age where it was so cold and these people did not, these soldiers or revolutionaries did not have proper clothing. Also on this day, George Washington received a letter dated November the 30th from his second-in-command, General Charles Lee, reporting that he was about to cross into New York uh, near Peekskill on this day in 1776. In an apt reflection of the state of American fortunes, the British captured General Lee nine days later in New Jersey. Richard Stockton, a leading New Jersey patriot and signer of the Declaration of Independence, was also in British custody and was forced to swear an oath of allegiance to the British king, along with thousands of others, uh, New Jersey neighbors. You can imagine the stark situation of these revolutionaries, even Thomas Jefferson thinking of resigning and uh, pledging allegiance again to the king. But General Washington prevailed. Amazing. By the way, uh, it's a good book. Uh, Patrick O'Donnell, I've mentioned it several times on the show, but The Indispensables is a great read about the Revolutionary War and helps to understand the tremendous odds against uh, the revolutionaries uh, during the American Revolution. Uh, When Donald Trump imposed tariffs on steel, aluminum, and imports from China, there was seemingly unending number of articles, studies, and essays decrying the inflation that was sure to squeeze the American consumer. We were told the price of televisions, cars, computers, and appliances would soar. When nothing of the sort happened, prices of many of these things, particularly televisions, fell after the tariffs were imposed. 
It still took years before the very smart people admitted they had been very wrong. Fast forward to this year. This time, establishment went the opposite way. Economists assured us that inflation would stay uh, transitory and subdued. And then they said it would be uh, transitory, as Federal Chairman Jerome Powell uh, memorably put it. Janet Yellen soon adopted the word as her own. Joe Biden took us that, told us that no serious economist worried about inflation because it will be coming unchecked. We suppose some progress may have been made. Instead, the wrong being wrong for years, this time the establishment caught on to its error after only nine or ten months, likely because political costs of inflation were mounting. As the pollsters at Gallup said Thursday, 45% of American households say their financial situation has been hurt by inflation. Among households with annual incomes lower than $40,000, this number jumps to 71%. That's an untenable position for any politician, but especially for one that considers himself progressive and ran promising to reduce the costs of living for middle and lower income Americans. Isn't it amazing that uh, the, the left says they want to give you things, free things, in order to get your vote? And, of course, what they end up with is high inflation and an awful lot less. The irony of that is just unbelievable. Well, here locally, properties are hot and selling in Naples and Fort Myers. In the case of Naples, more than anywhere else on a per capita basis, according to a recent report by Porch.com, a home services platform, Nationally, Naples, Marco Island tops the website list for the most home sales per 10,000 residents this year. Fort Myers sits at number four. Among mid-sized metros, Naples ranked first for its sales with Fort Myers in second place. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina came in third, followed by Sarasota and Port St. Lucie. Amongst all the uncertainty of the last two years, the certainty was that the amount of net worth and liquid capital to invest has never been higher, and Naples has never been more attractive for the reasons we know, said Husky. Real estate experts attribute Southwest Florida's draw to many factors, from its white sand beaches, strong public schools, diverse cultural offerings, and its low crime rates, range of outdoor recreational activities, and plethora of shopping and dining spots. And how about being maybe the happiest and healthiest place on the planet? That too. So real estate is hot here on the Paradise Coast. <clears throat> a broad rally sent Wall Street to a sharply higher close yesterday, recovering lost ground over recent sessions. As market participants snapped up bargains while digesting the implications of a shifting pandemic, all three indexes advanced with investors favoring a value over growth and economically sensitive small caps and transports outperforming the broader market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 617 points, or 1.82%. The uh, futures are down mildly right now, uh, just before uh, an hour or so, hour and a half before the opening. Jobless claims and planned layoff data should provide further evidence that employers are increasingly disinclined to hand out pink slips amid a tight labor market, the result of booming demand colliding with worker scarcity and uh, low labor market participation. So uh, perhaps we're not entering a bear market, maybe just a little dip and a correction in the market. Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Rand Paul, one and the same, called for Biden's COVID spokesperson, Dr. Anthony Fauci, to go to prison over comments he made to Congress regarding gain-of-function research. In a recent interview, Senator Rand Paul held nothing back when sharing his thoughts on Dr. Fauci, 
accusing the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director of lying to Congress. We referred him to the Department of Justice, Senator Paul said, to uh, Maria Bartiromo. But then again, Merrick Garland is one now who's going after parents that go to school board meetings, so I don't have a lot of hope that Merrick Garland is going to objectively look at the Fauci lying. <laughs> He's so right about that. Fauci, she, Merrick Garland is a political operative, not attorney general, sadly. Fauci should go to prison for five years for flying to Congress, said uh, Paul. They have prosecuted other people. They've selectively gone after Republicans, but in no way will they do anything about him lying. But he should be prosecuted for lying, said Paul. And Paul suggested Dr. Fauci has cost people lives through misinformation and that he should at the very least be taken out of his position. The incident in question took place on May 11th when Dr. Fauci told Congress that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China. On July the 20th, Jenner Paul confronted Dr. Fauci with he, when he claimed was evidence that NIH was, in fact, funding a lab in Wuhan. Dr. Fauci admitted denying lying to Congress, adding that the research was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as to not be gain-of-function. He also repeatedly stated that Senator Paul, an ophthalmologist, did not know what he was talking about regarding virology. Well, um, in my opinion, <clears throat> and I think I have a, I'm a pretty good judge about this, but just in my opinion, Dr. Fauci is lying, and he does it very easily. He seems to be very comfortable with lying. He should be taken out of his position, for sure. Read, uh, by the way, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s new book, uh, the, uh, the Real Anthony Fauci. It's a shocker. I'm reading it right now. 80 House Republicans on Tuesday voted with Democrats to pass the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act of 2021, which assigned into law would reportedly modernize already existing vaccination database systems. Not one Democrat voted no on the legislation, also called the HB 550, but 130 Republicans declined to support the bill. There seems to be a disconnect here. I can't imagine, so we're going to modernize a database of those that have been vaccinated. Uh, you can imagine that's just unbelievable. In fact, our own Byron Donalds made this, this comment. He said, uh, one of 130 Republicans to vote against the bill, he said this legislation would unnecessarily appropriate millions of taxpayers' funds intended to expand bureaucracy in Washington, a database solely created to record and collect confidential vaccination information of Americans explicitly encroaching upon individual fundamental right to medical privacy, he said. As physical conservative, I cannot in good faith support legislation contributes to Democrats' habitual pattern of reckless and wasteful spending and the intrusive heavy hand of government. He is so right about that because I'm sure the intent is to use it uh, to protect us, but, you know, this information could easily be used against us in the future. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, uh, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care if they have a need? We are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Keith Maples, Chief Development Officer at the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, you bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, just a flurry of activity going on right now, including the, the you know, continuing resolution to keep the government open. Uh, build back better. Maybe let's start with uh, getting an update on that. What's going on? You bet. Well, the situation is very fluid. Um, again, that's the $2 trillion uh, human infrastructure bill that has already passed in the House of Representatives. Um, it's now being considered by the Senate. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, he, he wants to uh, vote on this thing within two weeks, basically. 
Um, we don't have a public text yet. We know what the Senate is going to do is going to look very different from what the House did. Um, Manchin, or Senators Manchin and Cinema, um, both this week indicated uh, to the media that they cannot, that they, or they failed to indicate that they would support um, the Build Back Better Act. So their votes very much remain uh, in the balance. There are negotiations going on behind closed doors. We're getting snippets of reports from what's going on, but really no clear picture. So um, at this point, it's unclear whether or not they have a deal. And again, the, the support of the crucial support of Senators Manchin and Cinema is still not there. Um, uh, you know, Manchin called called for that pause uh, a few weeks ago with respect to all this spending in light of the ongoing inflation. So I've got my fingers crossed that there's still pretty darn good odds that, that those two, Manchin and Cinema, um, ultimately will withhold their support for any major bill. But we'll see. Uh, from your lips to God's ears. I, mean, I was a little disappointed that uh, last night they passed the continuing resolution to uh, the stopgap funding bill for keeping the government open. And uh, the Republicans wanted to tie the whole mask, uh, the uh, vaccine mandate to this, saying, let's no more mandates. He said, oh, you know what, it was important to me. He once declared support for that, but uh, I guess last night he didn't vote for it. So what are your thoughts? It was a bit of a half-hearted effort by the GOP along these lines. So again, and this is something I support too, playing hardball with uh, the, the government, um, with government funding that is. Yeah. Uh, this was a charge led by Senator Mike Lee to, to in essence, get uh, Congress to, to deny all funding for the implementation of the Biden's OSHA private sector uh, vaccine mandate. Uh, however, they quickly changed their demands, I mean, and very quickly that is, um, to merely getting a vote on a, 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 a straight-line vote. I mean, they, they reduced their, their demands uh, very quickly into a losing situation, and that's how it played out. I mean, it was clear that they didn't have the support of Senate Majority Leader McConnell and, indeed, most of the rank-and-file GOP, so it seemed like an ill-organized effort. Um, nevertheless, the ultimate result was for the Senate to kick the can down the road to February when this fight will renew again. To February the uh, 18th, apparently they've included in this uh, bill, however, uh, about $7 billion of support to fund the resettlement of Afghan refugees. These people, we don't know who they are. We don't know if they deserve to be <laughs> here or not. But uh, it just makes me wonder, do the Republicans ever negotiate for anything when they pass this stuff? Well, and so this is not an area of my expertise, sort of the nuance of congressional spending. But yeah. as I understand it, this was actually, these continuing resolutions, kicking the can down the road, are, are considered a win policy-wise for the GOP, and that's because the rules are under which the, the, you know, uh, the status quo, that they're kicking down the, the, the road, mm -hmm. these were established during the Trump administration. So mm -hmm. to, be, to be honest with you, I'm not sure how that $7 billion worth of funding, and I'm not commenting on the wisdom of the policy one way or another, um, that's not my bailiwick, but... I'm unsure how that got in there, given that, as I understand it, the rules of the game are that by kicking the can down the road, they're, they're, the starting place for this can was the Trump administration. So these policies are generally fav favorable to the GOP. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, the other thing that happened last night is kind of a shock to me is the 80 House Republicans voted uh, to 
uh, passed the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act of 2021. I don't know if you know anything about this, but this is just to be incredible that AIs could step up to help fund this, building a database of people that have been vaccinated. Uh, so I'm ignorant of this policy, but it certainly sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and why 80 GOP members in the House would go along with it is beyond me. But I can't speak to the bill because this is the first I've heard of. Okay, well, uh, the, the, the point is that apparently some Democrat Republicans said, well, this is a good thing because it's going to... Uh, protect privacy well no it's not what happens with this information is inevitably or can be politicized and uh weaponized against uh, uh republicans for example we have built a database of information about the american public it's not gonna, it's not going to be safe in in the hands of what i consider to be democrats and progressives or government in general yes and so yes reflexively i would uh, uh that doesn't sound good to me but i would have to learn more Ah, okay. Well, thank you for that. So, uh, what's happening on the litigation front? With respect to this vaccine mandate, uh, so actually the, all the cases that were filed uh, around the country against the Biden administration's mandate for businesses um, with more than 100 employees to, in essence, require either weekly testing or a vaccine um, amongst their uh, uh, workers, um, all that litigation has been consolidated before the Sixth Circuit. Um, that's out of Ohio, I believe. Um, uh, and it's unclear. There's actually an uncertain legal precedent as to whether or not the Fifth Circuit's uh, preliminary injunction, which in effect paused the rule, mm-hmm. whether or not that would continue to a different circuit's jurisdiction. Uh, the reason I should add that it's before the Sixth Circuit, this is rather complicated stuff, but it is uh, when these sorts of lawsuits are filed across the country, there is, in essence, a lawsuit, uh, not a lawsuit, uh, a lottery uh, drawn amongst the circuits for which one where these cases were filed will ultimately hear the case. The Sixth Circuit won that lottery, um, and, and as a result, the litigation is proceeding there. So we've got some unsolved questions as to whether or not what the Fifth Circuit had done in pausing the rule will continue in the Sixth Circuit. That court is now hearing briefs and arguments along those lines. Um, we'll have a, a clearer answer in the upcoming weeks, actually in very short order. In the meantime, I should note that the Biden administration has paused. The thing wasn't supposed to go into effect until January 4th, I think, as an initial matter. But even that uh, a start date has been paused by the Biden administration in light of the uncertain um, uh, legal atmosphere. And I, I should also add very briefly that as we spoke, I think a couple calls ago, the history of litigation against uh, agency, against the OSHA's uh, exercise of this authority um, suggests that the Biden administration is facing a very uphill climb in the courts. That is to say that courts have viewed this power skeptically in the rare instances that it's been exercised in the past. Yeah, and, and oh, since, uh, for example, the president has put off until after the first of the year the implementation of some of these uh, mandates, vaccine mandates, they, they, they claim it's an emergency, but that let's go ahead and have a nice Christmas and holiday before <laughs> we implement it. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Look, that is not just a fantastic common sense point that you bring up. But that's the sort of thing that will be brought up in the course of this litigation. I mean, uh, that militates heavily against the reasonableness of this putative emergency. Yeah.
William Yeatman, again, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. A nice write-up in the Naples Daily News about the groundbreaking uh, big event that happened on uh, Wednesday night. You can find out more by going to the Naples Daily News, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Get tickets now. You can visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Keith Maples, Chief Development Officer at the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you so much, Michael. Well, we've uh, not talked about this Omicron uh, variant that's, uh, I guess, been found in South Africa, but now we have five cases here in the United States. And if we don't have a pandemic over the virus, we certainly do over fear here in the United States and around the globe. What are your thoughts? Well, we did talk about Omicron a little bit, but we called it the new variant, or the Greek letter N-U, new. Yeah. Uh, but they changed it up because they decided that that was a little too confusing. 
the Omicron variant emerged in South Africa and Botswana, or at least that's where researchers first detected it. And it is now in 20 or more, probably more countries, which first of all tells you that it's probably highly contagious, as researchers fear, and that the travel bans the United States has imposed on Botswana and South Africa and other South African countries are just not, they're just useless. They're not going to contain a highly contagious variant of this virus. That virus is going to get out. It's going to travel to other countries uh, faster than than the politicians can limit our freedom to travel uh, or the freedom of others to travel here. Well, uh, my, my, Michael, if I might insert uh, at this point, uh, that won't work. Neither will mask, neither will shutdowns. <laughs> this virus is going to do what it's going to do, and uh, we just need to be mindful of our own personal health and our neighbors and uh, quit playing games with the political games with our freedoms. And there's some question about how well, of course, masks will work with even vaccines and prior infections. There are enough mutations in this Omicron variant to raise questions about whether it will be able to evade the antibodies that people who have had prior infections or vaccines have already developed and the other uh, lines of defense that the human immune system will throw at it. Mm-hmm. The fact that it is spreading so rapidly, I mean, you saw a, a rapid uptick in cases in South Africa. Uh, the the, the R number, the row number, the transmissibility ratio uh, rose to to two. It had been at one or uh, below in South Africa. The fact that it's risen to two, that each infected person infects an average of two other people is of great concern. But really, we're not going to know. We don't really know anything about this variant or know, uh, know enough about it to make decisions. And we won't for some time. Like, we don't know, are the, are, are the cases uh, that do emerge from the Omicron variant going to be more or less severe than uh, the Delta and previous variants have been? We just don't know that scientists won't be able to determine it until they have more time to collect more data. So people should be careful, as they have been, uh, uh, when it comes to all the previous variants. But there's really... Uh, Nothing that uh, tells us that uh, there's anything we should do to change our behavior in order to protect us from. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think that's wise counsel. On the other hand, we're already seeing knee-jerk reactions, uh, shutting down. Uh, well, in fact, <laughs> what Germany has decided they're going to uh, they're going to uh, have a lockdown on all unvaccinated people <laughs> in Germany. Already, there's been a reaction in New York uh, City, if not all of the state of New York. So people are starting to uh, never mind the facts. Let's just go ahead and jump to conclusions and uh, see if we can't uh, limit uh, personal freedom. People make bad decisions when they're afraid. Yeah, you know what? That's a great point. That is such an important point, too. Absolutely, uh, Michael. So, I mean, but initial uh, data suggests that this is a, a mild variant. In other words, people don't get very sick, don't get hospitalized as a consequence. One six-year-old child, apparently... I uh, had an elevated heartbeat, but uh, within a couple of days was back to normal. Uh, nobody hospitalized, as I understand it. Uh, so, uh, you know, my hope is that this is, as with previous virus situations, it's going to be uh, contagious, but not very uh, virulent. 
that is the hope. And there have been reports that, that cases from Omicron have been mild. Unfortunately, as I mentioned before, it's too early to know whether that is really the case, whether Omicron results in less severe illness, because there are other factors that could be giving, producing those results. Yeah. But for example, South Africa has a relatively young population. Uh-huh. If the fact that they are relatively young is the reason that the cases are so severe, but all we're reporting is, oh, Omicron cases are less severe, it, that could mask the fact that it is as severe, that the illness is as Omicron causes is as severe or more severe than prior variants like Delta. We just don't know and we won't know until we gather enough data on enough people are able to compare like to like yeah. uh, before we're going to know whether the, the illness that Omicron causes is more or less severe than previous variants. Yeah, I, I have to admit I'm being influenced by a book that I'm reading right now. It's by Robert Kennedy Jr. It's called the real Anthony Fauci, and it point is just very disturbing in terms of the information that we're discovering about what's going on in this entire thing. Uh, but the unrelated fact is that apparently there's been a study completed in Bangladesh, a pretty massive study, 342,000 adults, uh, indicating that masks have absolutely no effect or such a minimal effect it's not even measurable on the outcomes of people who get infected versus those who don't. So. Uh, maybe we could set aside, we could take the data and set aside things that don't work, like lockdowns and masks. Well, the Bangladesh study did find that masks reduce transmission, and uh, particularly among older people. And that was a randomized controlled study, and that is really the gold standard of, uh, of, of these sorts of epidemiological studies or, or non-pharmaceutical intervention studies. Uh, but, you know, I... Uh, first of all, Bob, don't ever apologize for being influenced by books. <laughs> okay. You should be influenced by books. That's why people read books is to learn, expand their minds. Uh, but you know, you should also read a variety of books from a, authors with a variety of perspectives. Yeah. And um, the the approach that Robert uh, Kennedy has taken to uh, to the science of vaccines makes me highly skeptical of his conclusions. Uh, but at the same time, I'm highly skeptical of Dr. Fauci's uh, yeah. uh, conclusions and recommendations as well. So just as uh, I, I don't trust when uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. says something about the Bangladesh study, I also don't automatically trust everything Anthony Fauci says, especially when yeah. he goes on national television and says that he represents science. Yeah, in in fairness, uh, uh, in he, fairness, he, I, that that was a little laissez-moi. Yeah, for my case. yeah. In, in fairness to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., I don't recall seeing anything about the Bangladesh study in the uh, book that he wrote, but it's extremely well documented. And I recommend it, by the way, to our listeners. Uh, the real Anthony Fauci. You know, uh, Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for giving us such important information, Michael. Cannon again, uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Until next time, Bob. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Coming up, Keith Maples. He's the uh, Chief Direct uh, Development Officer at the uh, Neighborhood Health Clinic. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. 
here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for me. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Keith Maples. He's the Chief Development Officer at the Neighborhood Health Clinic. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having us. Always a pleasure, Keith. And I've been looking forward to this discussion because this has been kind of a, a wonderful moment in the history of the uh, Neighborhood Health Clinic. But before we get into the good news, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the health, uh, Neighborhood Health Clinic and what it does. Absolutely, Bob. You know, in 1999, uh, Dr. William Lashide and Nancy Lashide uh, realized there was a desperate need in our community to help the underserved and uh, low-income, working, uninsured adults here in Collier County. And uh, they started the Neighborhood Health Clinic. That first day, they had eight patients, um, you know, and then it grew. And today, we, we have over 15,000 patients in our database. We had over 11,000 patient visits uh, this last year, uh, 27,000 procedures we've performed. Hmm. And again, it's it's been the opportunity to uh, really take care of those those in need. You know, our patients are, are looking for, you know, they're not looking for a handout. They're looking for that, that hand up. You know, they're looking for that, just that little chance of, of getting uh, that one bit of help, but they're willing to, to, to put their effort forward as well. You know, there was a, we had a wonderful article in the newspaper this week and it explained and it showed that 
you know, our patients, they contribute to our bottom line, our budget for operations. Uh, they actually donate uh, $20 for every, every uh, month, uh, once a month when they come in. It's not for services, it's for operations. So it allows us to turn the lights on, and, and they wanted to be a part of that. So it's really, it's really unique. Uh, the community's really stepped in and got behind this, and we've been very successful. Yeah, and uh, maybe you could elaborate some of the types of services. This is for people who are working. It's not for the entire family, but it's for people that uh, ordinarily wouldn't have health insurance and couldn't take care of the cost of that. The consequences is that their health may deteriorate, everything from dental to you name it. Uh, but you provide a lot of different services, don't you? Absolutely. So once a patient, once somebody uh, actually qualifies at the clinic, uh, all the services that we do under our umbrella at the clinic are available. So they see a primary care physician. That primary care physician then uh, looks at them and, and, and treats them for their current symptoms and their chronic diseases. Most of our patients average three to five chronic diseases. So it could be diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, uh, obesity, things like that that affect their overall health. And what, what happens is, is they qualify, uh, they come in, they see a physician, and then at that point, it's determined what else, what other services they may need. If they need dental, then and it's uh, attributing to their their poor health, uh, we work with them with their with our dental operatory that we have, our dental suite, which we have four operatories and a whole dental suite. Um, if it's imaging they need, um, we have a full radiology suite. Hmm. Uh, if it's you know needed to be treated for uh, some other services, some other specialty services like gynecology, cardiology ear, nose, and throat, uh, we now have all those uh, facilities and all those uh, opportunities to do that on one campus. And I'll point out that that this is not funded by the government in any way. This is all from private contributions and uh, contributions of of the people that serve there. In fact, my recall is that there's a very small percentage of the donations that come in and the money that comes in that actually goes to pay services because most of the services by nurses and doctors are volunteered. Yeah, all of our all of our services, in fact, are volunteer services. So our physicians, nurses, dentists, they all donate their time. They're Florida licensed. Uh, they're protected under sovereign immunity in the state of Florida, so mm-hmm. they don't have to have uh, any of the malpractice insurance, and they can provide those services. So we've been very fortunate uh, to have such a, a wide array of volunteers. Uh, we've been very fortunate to have this really adopted and, and, and carried through by our community because, again, uh, Tired County is very unique. Uh, it's, it's one of those communities that uh, a lot of private philanthropy takes care of all the needs of the community, and, and they've been very, very, very giving and supportive uh, of our patients. You know, I, I would say after having my relationship with the Neighborhood Health Clinic over these years that it is a template. Should uh, There should be a Neighborhood Health Clinic in every state in the Union and uh, most communities for sure because it's a great way and <laughs> at no expense to the uh, to the taxpayers either. I think it's a great alternative to things like Obamacare, uh, Keith. So now uh, you've completed this $13 million uh, renovation and expansion. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely, Bob. You know, we you know we initially started this. You know, there was a desperate need for dental, and we looked at that, and we realized that we were eventually going to to grow a dental program under the clinic, and um, we started looking at that. We then realized that there was a need for radiology, and then there was a need to expand our specialty services. And you know, Doctor Lashide and Nancy had a vision early on that we wanted this to be the medical home for for our patients, for those in need. 
that they could come one place, not go, you know, office to office, but come one place to get all the services they need. And uh, we decided to take it from just that dental building to a to the full campus. And that full campus was the Armstrong Medical Building, which has uh, the dental suite in it, all of our imaging, uh, and then it has all of our specialty care, which we talked about the gynecology suite, the cardiology suite, uh, ear, nose, and throat, physical therapy, wound care, ophthalmology. We have all that now within the Armstrong Medical Building. And then we also added a, a Van Dalman Education and Wellness Building, which will allow us then to continue the efforts that we have with our patients of educating them uh, and, and really helping them understand what their chronic disease is and how to how to manage that chronic disease. Because again, when our patients come to us, Bob, you know, a lot of them may have may have never been to the physician, right. and, and 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 so when they come to us, they have uh, heightened. Uh, situations, heightened diseases where they're, right. they're more extreme. So we, you know, we work with them to get them under control and then allow them work with them to maintain them, to give them better health. And so we want to make sure that our patients, you know, get that care and need and, and, and necessary because if they miss any days of work, it affects the food on their table, the roofs over their head. So we, we were very pleased to have this opportunity to complete this $13 million expansion uh, we had a successful ribbon cutting uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, celebrating that success. And uh, we we just encourage anyone that's interested in the clinic to always come by. Uh, feel free to stop by, call us. If we can give tours. We'd love to showcase what the clinic is because, again, this is something that was put here because of the need and because of the support of our community. And because of the tremendous work of the Lashides as well, then and their contribution to their communities, it's an unbelievable vision that they had for uh, for the future about this. So, uh, you have a website? We do. So we it's the www.neighborhoodhealthclinic.org. Uh, anybody can go to that. Our website's pretty pretty up to date. We try to update it constantly. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, um, and then of course, feel free to give us a call anytime. We do have a direct. Uh, uh, number 261-6600 that you can call into. Um, but I feel the website will give you a lot of that information. And then, again, we're on the corner of, of Central and Goodlit and 12th. Uh, we actually have uh, that corner uh, for our campus. Our campus grew from 11,000 square feet to now 32,000 square feet. Wow. And, uh, again, we, we have all those services necessary for our patients. And we couldn't be here uh, of course, without the community, without our, our donors, without the leadership of our, our volunteers and our board of directors, um, you know, we've been very fortunate. And, and, you know, I look at this and say, you know, it started in 1999. We're growing into year 23 now of, of being in existence. We're continuing to grow uh, again. And we're just so thankful for all the support that uh, those have given us. And I suppose that uh, there's also opportunities for volunteers as well. I happen to know a volunteer who told me that uh, she is an immigrant from another country, and she came here. She ended up volunteering her uh, services, and then she said, boy, once I, I started doing that, I, I knew I belonged in this community. I so much value, she said, the Neighborhood Health Clinic. So, again, uh, the health the uh, website, neighborhoodhealthclinic.com. Org, neighborhoodhealthclinic.org. Yeah. Keith, I always appreciate your commentary on the show. Congratulations. You're doing God's work. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having us. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Harton Show, here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donations Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Bigo. He's the uh, founder and uh, president CEO of the Executive Management Services, doing businesses in over 30 states with over 6,000 employees. He's also the author of a terrific book. It's called uh, The Devil at Our Doorstep, about the travails of dealing with the dirty tricks of union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. They tried to get him to sign a neutrality agreement, which would allow them to go door-to-door to his uh, employees to sign them up for the union. Once they got to 50% plus one, they would be unionized. Dave said, nope, if you're going to unionize us, I'm not going to sign that thing, but you could do it by secret ballot for whatever reason, probably because they knew they wouldn't win. They didn't want to have a secret ballot, and the dirty tricks commenced. Dave prevailed, and he wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Bob, and thanks for talking about my book. i got to tell you, um, I had a um, spine doctor appointment a month or two ago, and um, um, I gave a guy a copy of my book, and I got a, a uh, thank you card from him in the mail this week saying, 
I've read your book. It's unbelievable. It, uh, it really is. It really is unbelievable. I, I, you know, when you read it, it's almost like a mystery. It's almost like you can't make this stuff up. It's like a Stephen King book. It's uh, the the human behavior is just unbelievable. These uh, union bosses and what they did to you, to your customers, uh, to uh, the families of uh, and uh, to your employees. Just unbelievable stuff. And you know, uh, I read in the. Uh, uh, here, th- I guess this is in the Federalist. Pennsylvania unions ignore SCOTUS ruling. Uh, that would be the Janus ruling, I suppose. Keeping forcing teachers to pay dues. In other words, they're using technicalities and details and pressure to uh, get teachers to continue to pay dues, even though they don't want to belong to the union. That's their right, isn't it? Well, yeah. And, and this thing, you know, add to that, Bob, and right to work states across the country. Um, there's a lot of unions, you know, pe- people don't have to, um, um, join a union, but they don't have to pay dues either if they don't want to. And, uh, the unions are still behind the scenes are pressuring them to pay dues. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, um, um, the Teamsters, um, uh, they've been hounding members who are on maternity leave and medical or disability leave or. Uh, on furlough during the pandemic to collect unpaid union dues because, um, uh, you know, normally they're paid through automatic deduction paychecks, but when not receiving a check, the members are expected to continue and pay the, the dues. And uh, this is what's going on right now. You're kidding. That's how they want the unemployed to go ahead and write a check out of their checkbook because they can't, can't uh, collect it from their, uh, from their paychecks. That's right. And, uh, you know, like I say, even in right-to-work states where they don't have to, they're still forcing them to do it. And, uh, you know, it's not being um, a lot of these uh, people, uh, they're afraid to go and talk to the government or anything to get the unions to stop it because they're afraid they're going to be intimidated uh, by the unions. And uh, so it doesn't go on. And You know, but, you know, other union corruptions, um, you know, uh, the UAW is, is still big-time um, uh, doing fraud and, uh, um, you know, the UAW president, Ray Curry, who recently vowed to right those wrongs of the past, Curry now, um, finds himself in a microscope for potential ethical misconduct for allegedly pocketing thousands of college football tickets handed over by, uh, um, union vendor. And watchdog is closification during the course, and hopefully, as um, and he's using all that uh, those ticks and that for his own money, hmm. money for his own pocket. And then the SEIU, um, uh, Richard Lewis Brown admitted he used union dues to pay for a number of personal expenditures, including a weight loss clinic, laundry services, along with trips to restaurants and visits to, visits to Costco. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's unfortunately what's going on. And uh, yeah. in Philadelphia, well, in which is in Pennsylvania, um, um, you know, they're, they're doing the same type of stuff. And uh, he's, he's, he's taking about $600,000. This is in the uh, Electrical Workers Union huh. uh, and alleged dues for his own pocketbook. Hmm. Uh, well, shocking. Hopefully, he'll the. Uh uh, justice will prevail, and hopefully they'll be uh, indicted for his for his bad deeds. Uh, you know, uh, D- Trumpka died 
uh, suddenly, a couple years ago, or a couple of months ago, actually, I guess it's been. Uh, has anybody replaced him, and what's going on on that front? Do you know? I, I think it's still behind the scenes. They're trying to decide how it's going to go. We're not getting a lot of information on it right now, so it's interesting. But, um, you know, the other big thing that the American people and business people need to understand um, there's a groundswell support uh, for the unions in Washington, and uh, and this is by the Biden administration, and they haven't seen this in years. And, um, you know, union activities gone down, you know, you know, only about 10% of workers are union workers, but now it's starting to go back up uh, because of the support of the Biden administration and the political power that he's putting behind uh, the unions. And we're, st we're starting to see, uh, you know, more petitions to force unionize and, and unionize people. You know, big companies like Starbucks and uh, are being gone after, and so is Amazon. And uh, hmm. they're really, uh, the unions are really going after them. And, you know, um, they're calling this, this time period now, um, like, or Thanksgiving holiday, called it Strikes Giving, uh, which was part of Strikes October. And now they're going to, uh, instead of calling Christmas Christmas, they're going to call Christmas Strikesmas. Uh, uh, shocking indeed. It's so sad, actually. Uh, now, Amazon voted overwhelmingly to not unionize, but they're saying, whoop, the vote must have been flawed. We're going to do it again, right? They're really pu uh, pushing the yep, issue. They're uh, down in Alabama. They're going, and the, um, in fact, uh, the uh, NLRB is pushing that to let, let them do it again. And uh, they're going after Amazon in a lot of big places all over the country. Yeah, it's just too bad. Well, and of course, the the contracts for the Build Back Better bill, uh, all of these kind, all these programs uh, require union employees. So, in other words, it's it is uh, mandated by law now that people unionize if they want to have a government contract. Yeah, yes, that's right. And uh, you know, and federal employees have been unionized for <laughs> almost forever. It seems like, and. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people complain about how much money they make and everything. And um, uh, this is what's going to happen uh, for companies that do work for the federal government. Well, I want to say this, too. The, the deep state is, uh, quite frankly, the union uh, contracts uh, protect the deep state. And uh, the uh, president of the United States should be able to come in and clean house if he wants to. But that's not pay it possible because of union contracts. We need to do something about that. And it starts with de-unionizing the uh, public employees. That's just just wrong. Oh, it is. And, uh, you know, when I wrote my blogs, I talked about that and said it needed to happen, too. But, um, you know, what we need to get back to, Bob, is if we're going to get this stuff cleaned up in that uh, in politics is that we need to get to term limits where, you know, uh, people go and uh, work in the government only for a couple terms and they get back and work in the free market society. And uh, that will change a lot of things in this country. It sure would if they could find a job. <laughs> Again, Dave Vigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. You can get a copy at his website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. It's a terrific read. Also, you can get a copy at a nice discount at my website as well, bobharden.com, and, of course, at all book purveyors as well. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ray, and have a great weekend. And you as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Learned a lot. 
Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Great guests lined up for uh, Monday's show. Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be talking about current global events. Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, will be joining us, as well as Jim McTigg. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>